Have you noticed the reality of life that is true for me and you and all of us as human beings in general, in general, and it's this, try to be negative or anything like that, but just, just a general truth. Typically, people are not good finishers. We are much better at starting things than we are finishing things. That's just, and maybe not you, you may be an exception to the rule, but generally speaking, human beings are not good finishers. All you got to do to know that is true is take a little stroll into your garage. Maybe the fact that you can't get in your garage proves this point, right? And look at all of the things that are pieces of something you started but didn't finish. And you bought all the stuff, right? It's sitting over there. Yeah, that, that's, when I get back to that, that's what that is. And what's this over here? Oh, yeah, that. Well, I, I was working on this project, and then, well, that. And they needed this piece and never bought it, so I, this is unfinished. And we go around. Maybe you walk around the yard, and you see that, you know, there's a, there's a hole dug, and it's still a hole because you were going to do something, and you started, and then it started raining or, you know, something else. And, and we even say that. Yeah, I know I got to get back to this. I got to get back to that. I got to get back to that project because we just typically are not that great of finishers. And we judge, you know, our weekends by, oh, it's so good. I finally got this finished. I finally got this finished. I finally got, because we know we're not that great at that. No big deal when it's just house projects. It becomes a little bit bigger of a deal when you talk about people not finishing commitments following through on commitments or goals that they set for themselves. And what's even a more rare quality than people finishing is people finishing well. That's a fantastic attribute. To be someone who doesn't just finish, but finishes well, whether it's a job, an assignment, a project, or even better, life. What about people who finish life well, Jesus did both, and he did both very well. Jesus was both a finisher and he finished well. We are wrapping up our series, hopefully finishing well. Words of a dying man. We've been looking at the last things Jesus said before he died while he was hanging on the cross. And what we're going to see today is Jesus said something. Jesus said something that was huge that helped us understand that he's not just human, like we saw in week one, and he's not just son of God that we saw in week two, and he's not just savior of the world that we saw last week, but he is Lord of all. Lord of all. The supreme author and finisher of faith. And specifically, we will see this through what I believe is Jesus's, probably one of his most famous sayings of all. Other than possibly John 3.16, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I mean, that's undoubtedly the most quoted thing Jesus ever said. But right next to that, I believe that what we're getting ready to see in the next few minutes is one of Jesus' most famous statements. Let me set it up. Remember in week one, where we saw Jesus on the cross and he was exhibiting very human qualities and even said, I'm thirsty, I thirst. And almost 
of a mockery in that moment. They grabbed a sponge and soaked it in some sour wine and put the sponge on a branch and held it up to Jesus. Obviously, it doesn't quench anyone's thirst. And it was at that moment, as we will see, when Jesus had tasted it, he said, here it is. It is finished. It is finished. Three words. Huge significance. It is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So, so what, what was all that about? What does he mean? What does this teach us? It teaches us some very powerful things. He was saying, it is finished. Before we explain what we believe Jesus was referring to when he said it is finished and what it's got to do with your life, let's clarify what he didn't say. He didn't say, it is fixed. Because it ain't fixed yet. Look around. Notice the world you live in. Notice the world in the condition that it's in. There's a lot of broken stuff. There's a lot of broken people. There are a lot of broken things that just give us one piece of evidence after another that, man, this world is still quite a piece of work, ain't it? Right? The pain, the suffering, the conflict, the war, the strife, the disagreement, the fightings, the pandemics. You just keep going. This world ain't fixed yet. He wasn't saying it's fixed. That comes later. He was saying it is finished. He also didn't say it is over because it ain't over. In fact, that's what we're going to be celebrating next weekend. When we get to the Easter celebration, that is just proof of the fact that it is anything but over. In fact, in many ways, it's just the beginning as the resurrection of Jesus Christ would prove. It's not I, it's not it is fixed, and it's not it is over, and it's not even I am finished. He wasn't communicating that there was nothing left for him to do. That's it, signing off, Jesus, over and out. No, nothing like that. He wasn't saying I am finished because Jesus is very much still at work in the world, still very much at work in our lives. It is finished. Now, in that moment when Jesus was hanging on the cross and saying those three very powerful words, it became very evident that whatever he was saying and whatever it was meaning was so much bigger than just right then and there in that moment with him on the cross. Some things began to happen that people in that moment began to realize, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Something else is going on here. This is bigger than just this moment. For starters, we're told that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, that darkness covered the whole area. It got dark in the middle of the day. And from about noon to 3 p.m., for about three hours, darkness covered the area. What was up with that? What was the cause of that? Well, we're not quite sure. I've heard different speculations and different theologians and, and scientists and all that talk about what could have caused that phenomenon. Some have suggested, oh, it was an eclipse. It was an eclipse. Well, that's, that's a plausible explanation. But typically, eclipses don't last for three hours, right? 
Remember back when we had the eclipse a couple of years ago? When, you know, remember that? And they told you to put mask over your eyes before we were putting mask over our mouth. Put your mask so, so you couldn't see. Don't look, don't look kind of thing, right? And it was only for about, what, a few minutes, uh, 10 minutes or so that it, it really, I mean, you could see, but... So it could have been an eclipse, but for three hours? For whatever it was, the timing of it was more than coincidental. Not only that, the darkness covered the area for three hours. You, you had an earthquake that occurred. Now, earthquakes are not highly uncommon. We get it. Earthquakes happen all over the earth pretty regularly. But the timing, the timing of an earthquake when Jesus was on the cross saying some of the final things that he was saying coupled with the fact that it was dark in the middle of the day. Got people begin thinking, wait a second, hmm, there's more here than meets the eye. This is much bigger than just a crucifixion. There was also something that was happening just down the street at the temple. You see, it was Passover weekend, and so the temple was a very busy place. People were there as they came every year, offering sacrifices, engaging in the traditions and the worship of God. But something happened with darkness covered and the earthquake happened. Something happened in the temple. And we are told that in the moments that Jesus died and around the time Jesus uttered the words it is finished we're told that something happened in the temple specifically the veil the curtain and when you think curtain don't think theatrical curtain think something much larger much longer much higher much thicker weighing tons a massive curtain that separated the innermost part of the temple called the Holy of Holies where the presence of God is said to have dwelt. It represented the very presence of God. The Holy of Holies was separated off from the rest of the temple where people could go by this huge veil. And inside the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could enter in once a year. And it was that time of year. When darkness covered the earth and the earthquake, we're told that the veil ripped. It was torn, but in a very unique way. It wasn't torn the way we would tear it as a human being. If we were tearing something like this, we would start at the bottom because that's what we could get to because it was very tall, very high. No, it tore from the top down, signifying this was no human doing Something very supernatural was going on. By the way, I wish we had time. I wish we had time to talk about the significance of the veil being torn. And now the presence of God that was sealed off by this veil because of Jesus is now torn. And now we, through Jesus, have access to the presence of God directly ourselves. No need for a priest, no need for a high priest because Jesus becomes our once for all access to God. We'll get to that in a minute. But if you're there and you see this crucifixion happening and, and it goes dark and, and then the earth begins to shake with a quake and, and then there's this ruckus, this, this, some kind of 
disturbance down at the temple. What, the veil? The temple veil was torn? How odd. You begin to start putting two and two together going, wait, 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 wait. There's something going on here much bigger than just a crucifixion. In fact, there were some people there in that moment that began to put two and two together and begin to clue into this. Look at this. Matthew writes that when the Roman centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus and they were seeing all this and they saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. Of course they were. Who wouldn't be? And they exclaimed, wait a second, surely. Time out a second. Surely. He was the son of God. So even they began to clue in to that Whatever he was meaning by it is finished and whatever is going on, it's bigger than just here. It's bigger than just now. This is a magnificent moment. Could it be that Jesus is exactly who he said he was? Not just human, a great human man. Not just son of God. Not, not even just savior, but in fact, Lord and supreme Overall, And what they didn't know is that three days later, the resurrection would prove, in fact, that he was all of that and even more. It is finished. When Jesus said this, what, what, what does that mean? What is finished and what does it mean that it is finished? Well, obviously, the most natural conclusion of what Jesus was referring to when he said it is finished is that he was referring to, most naturally, his earthly mission. His earthly mission of leaving heaven and coming to earth to be the savior of the world. That process is now complete. It is finished. Obviously, he was referring to at least that. At least that. But it wasn't just that. When Jesus said, it is finished, not only was he referring to his earthly mission, because that's great to know, but what's that got to do with me and you? Here we go. He was not just referring to the fact that his earthly mission was complete. He was referring to a whole new reality that was being set into motion. For instance, when Jesus said, it is finished, he was culminating thousands of years of the past that go all the way back to Abraham. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was putting a capstone in thousands of years of the past, bringing it all to a focal point in that moment in the first century. He was culminating the past, as we will see in just a moment. At the same time, he was defining the present. It is finished, was bringing the past into the present in a moment that had never existed before and a moment nothing has been like that moment since. And at the same time, pulling the past and engaging the present, he was reaching into the future and including people who had not even been born yet. People like me, you, us. So this was much bigger than just a moment in time. This was past, present, future converging in one solitary moment that affects all humanity, all time, and all eternity. It's big, big what Jesus was doing. And when he said it is finished, huge. In fact, to be honest, we're still discovering what he meant. We're still unpacking all that that referred to 
both then and now when Jesus said it is finished. But let me just step into those waters just for a few minutes. Let's just tiptoe in because we, we don't have the ability to go as deep as that statement is. It's huge. And what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes is only the tip of the iceberg, but it gives us a pretty good understanding of what was going on past, present, and future when Jesus said it is finished. For starters, when Jesus said it is finished, he was communicating that he had done everything necessary, everything that needed to be done to forgive sin. That's good news for us. He's saying, I've done everything that needs to be done for sin to be dealt with and sin to be forgiven. Remember I said he was culminating the past? Here's where the past comes in. When Jesus said it is finished, he was putting an end to thousands of years of a sacrificial system that goes all the way back to the Mosaic Law and the Mosaic Covenant. Jesus was putting an end to a sacrificial system And the point of that sacrificial system was to prove to the world that they needed a savior. Oddly enough, while Jesus was dying on the cross, putting an end to a sacrificial system, people were down at the temple offering sacrifices. It was Passover weekend. The writer of Hebrews spells that out. He says, under the old covenant, under the Mosaic law, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again and again. It's just what we do. But these things can never take away sins. That was the whole point, is to show that these things can't take away sins and that the ultimate need is for a Savior to do once and for all what this sacrificial system could never accomplish on its own. I mean, just think about it, right? Okay. You go to the temple, you offer sacrifice. You're thinking, we're good. I'm good with God. We're good. Hey, honey, we're good. Hey, kids, we're good. Offer sacrifice. You're on your way home. A guy in a brand new camel cuts you off. (laughs) Turn around. We got to go back to the temple. Got to offer another sacrifice. Didn't even make it home. You see what I'm saying? And it's a very trivial way, but it, it kind of gets the, the point across. It, it was no end to the sacrificing because there's no end to the sin until Jesus. Watch this, watch this. But our high priest, referring to Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And not just for all time, Since people are the ones who do the sinning, when he says it's good for all time, he also means for all people. One sacrifice to end all sacrifices. One sacrifice to end thousands of years of sacrificing. Jesus dealt with sin once and for all final. Let me just say this. We'll come back to it in a couple of months, actually, is that what Jesus did is he solved the sin problem. He took care of sin. Sin, when it comes to relating to God, sin is no longer the issue. You say, what do you mean sin is no longer the issue? We still sin. I know, I know that. But, but there's a reason for that. And we're going to actually do a whole series in May on sin. That's right. We're going to talk about your sin and my sin and everybody's sin. We're going to talk about sin. Surprise, surprise at church. But what we're going to talk about 
is what this looks like, what our real problem is. And the problem is not that sin hasn't been dealt with. The problem is we don't take advantage of the fact that sin has been dealt with. We don't live in that reality. So more to come there. Just kind of dog ear that. We'll come back to it. But Jesus dealt with sin once, final, for all. Forgive sin. When he said it is finished, he was reaching into the past and ending thousands of years of a sacrificial system to be the one sacrifice that ends all sacrifice for human beings to ultimately get this next part, connect us with God. When he said it is finished, not only was he saying, I've done everything that needs to be done to forgive sin, he was also saying, that means I've done everything that needs to be done to connect human beings with a holy and righteous God. I've done everything. Now, now you can have a relationship with God that is as it was meant to be from the beginning. Jesus opened a doorway to God. He opened access to God. Watch how Paul writes and describes this to the Corinthians in the first century. For God was in Christ. On the cross, God was in Christ. Jesus was God in flesh and bone. Literally, it was God himself through Jesus on the cross. God was in Christ on the cross doing what? Reconciling the world to himself. Word reconcile is a business term. It's about making things balanced, bringing numbers into alignment, right? Reconciling, making this side match this side. If you are in that world, you know what that's about. We use it also in relational terms, right? When two people who are estranged or disconnected from one another, when they reconcile, right? When they reconcile, you know what that's like. When you reconcile, your husband's been an idiot. Now you're reconciled. Right? I don't know why it's always us husbands, but you know what I'm saying, right? It's a business term. It's a relational term. It's when you bring things back to where they connect now. They meet. That's what God was doing in Christ. He was reconciling the world, the world to himself. What does that mean? He was no longer counting people's sins against them. No longer counting people's sins against them. Again, I told you, sin's no longer the issue. He's dealt with it. And Peter went on to say he nailed the sins to his own cross. It's done. No longer is that between people and God. No longer does that have to be the case because it's dealt with. No longer counting people's sins against them. Boy, that's good news. That's what Jesus was meaning when he said it is finished. He ended something from the past, a sacrificial system. He made something possible in the present for you and I to be connected with God. And there's also something he did that applies to our future. When Jesus said it is finished, he was saying, I've done everything that needs to be done for you to have new life. From this moment on into the future, new life, new life that lasts forever, new life that is eternal life. I've done everything that needs to be done. Paul writes to the Corinthians in that same passage. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, reconciled together with Christ, the new creation has come. I love that phrase, new creation. We don't use it near enough. We ought to talk about this more. The old is gone, the new is here. The new creation. I wish I could fully explain it to you, but it's one of those things that you just have to begin to experience to know what it's about, how God begins to do something inside of you. He begins to change you from the inside out. You become a new creation in Christ. The old creation, dominated by sin, dominated by 
trying to figure out a way to be connected with God. Well, it's finished. He's taken care of that. Now through trust and faith in him, we become new creations and we experience the new creation. That's mind-blowing stuff. Not only do we become new creations, we become new people that we begin to experience the work of the new creation within us and he's beginning to transform us from the inside out. That's what Jesus was referring to when he said it is finished. Basically, you could summarize it like this. When Jesus said it is finished, what he was saying is that he's made all the arrangements for you. He's made all the arrangements for you, for your sin to be forgiven, for you to be connected with God, and for you to have new life that lasts forever. He's done everything that needs to be done to connect us, to forgive us, to give us that new and eternal life. All the arrangements have been made. For you and I to fully experience God's work in our lives and become all that God created us to be in Christ. He's made all the arrangements. He's done all that needs to be done. There's nothing left to do. There's nothing left to be earned. No sacrifice is called for anymore. He is the finisher. He's made all the arrangements. Let me give you a couple of word pictures to kind of noodle on a little bit as we kind of wrap this up and bring it all together. I, 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 like, I like visuals. I'm a visual learner. When I see something with my eyes, it helps me process concepts better. So let me give you a couple visuals. Go with me on this. Visual number one. I want you to imagine, I want you to think of a road that has been cut and paved through a remote wilderness. I want you to think of a pristine road that cuts through what before that road was there was wild, untamed, remote. That we have such a road not too far from us. It's world famous. You probably have driven it. It's one of my famous, I mean, one of my most favorite places to visit. And, and maybe you too. It's called the Blue Ridge Parkway. A road that has been cut through wild and untamed wilderness. When you drive on the Blue Ridge Parkway and you think, man, what, what must have gone into creating such a beautiful, amazing highway through this kind of terrain? We actually have a member of our family on my wife's side. She has a great uncle who lost his life. He died in the building helping build the Blue Ridge Parkway. And then a lot went into it. You think about all of the blasting that had to be done, all the obstacles that have to be removed for that, for that highway to be there. Think about all of the bridges that had to be built over valleys and creeks and streams and rivers and lakes. If you think about the mountains that they couldn't blast away, so they had to dig through and the tunnels that were created to tunnel through these mountains, a lot of painstaking effort went into making that beautiful thing we call the Blue Ridge Parkway. That is exactly, spiritually speaking, what Jesus has done for us. He's made all the arrangements. He has paved the way for you. He has removed every obstacle between you and God. he's, He's tunneled through mountains. He's built bridges to connect you and me with God for us to experience what God created us to experience. He has paved the way. All that's necessary now is for you to decide to join him on the journey. Second visual, 
For those of you that may not be travel enthusiasts, maybe this one will connect with you a little bit better. We're all foodies in such a way in that we enjoy eating. I want you to imagine walking into a dining room and seeing a table fully set, fully decked out, beautifully decorated and loaded banquet style with the finest foods. Food that you can't wait. You say, well, I don't know. I'm sensitive. I'm kind of intolerant. Okay, okay. Go back to the Blue Ridge Parkway. For the rest of us, the best foods. Okay, for you, gluten-free. Everything's gluten-free. Everything's whatever. You know, everything's free. Finest foods. And you notice that the table has been set with place cards. And you notice one, and your name is on one of the little cards. (laughs) Not only has it been set, prepared, somebody was expecting you. What's the natural thing to do there? Just walk up to the table, pull out the chair, sit down, pull up a seat, and enjoy the meal. Isn't that, isn't that the natural thing to do? Wouldn't it make, wouldn't make no sense. Wouldn't make any sense at all. No sense at all. To look at that and go, hmm, I'm thinking PBJ, and go to the kitchen and make you something yourself. Why? 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 When the table has already been prepared and set just for you and me. See, spiritually speaking, that's exactly what Jesus has done. He made all the arrangements in that he set the table for you. And all that is necessary is for you and me to pull up a seat and dine. When Jesus said it is finished, that's exactly what he's referring to. He said, I've made all the arrangements. I've, I've paved the way. In fact, It's not by mistake that he called himself the way, the truth, and the life. It's not by mistake that he called himself, I am the door, I am the gate, I am the access to God. He has paved the way and he just invites you to journey with him. Trust in him, following him. Because when he said it is finished, that's what he did. It's, It's not by mistake that Jesus calls himself the bread of life the water of life because he has set the table for you and I to pull up a seat and dine with him all that's needed is for you to sit and eat trusting him following him When he said it is finished, that's exactly what he did. And that's exactly what he meant for me and for you. There could not be three words that are bigger. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he was spending some time with his disciples in what now we refer to as the Last Supper. Often it's referred to as the Lord's Supper, and in many church circles, we see that as the first time that Jesus shared the communion experience with his disciples, very much like what you and I will share together in just a few moments. 
But when Jesus was there trying to explain to his followers what was getting ready to happen the next day, he's trying to explain to the disciples what's getting ready to go down and they couldn't get it. They didn't understand. They only were getting bits and pieces of this and it didn't make sense to them. It wouldn't have made sense to me. It wouldn't have made sense to you. We would have been right there with them on this. And, but one thing he did make clear is, fellas, what you're getting ready to see tomorrow, I don't want you to ever forget. I mean, how could they? But he was telling them, I want you to be focused on remembering these things and don't ever forget them. I think he would tell us the same. Now in our positioning, looking back on that weekend to never forget what Jesus did and what he meant by it is finished. We know now, we have the luxury now of looking back on what they couldn't see coming. Know that it is finished for you. It is finished for me. It is finished for us. He has done all that is necessary for us to have our sins forgiven and to be connected with God and to have new and eternal life. All that he's waiting for us to do is to join him on the journey and pull up a seat at the table and start eating what he has prepared for us. And we do that by faith. We do that by trust. And I invite you to make that decision in your life, even right now. And if you already are journeying with him and eating at the table with him, don't ever forget, don't ever forget what he's done for you and live like you've never forgotten. Our Father, we come to you now and we thank you with hearts of gratitude for what you did for us that we could never even begin to try to honestly and, and, and effectively do for ourselves. We could not solve the sin issue. Thousands of years of sacrificing over and over and over again couldn't do it. It showed us that we needed a savior and you came as our savior. But more than just our Savior, you accomplished what no one else could do in making it possible for our sin to be forgiven, for us to be connected with a holy and righteous God and to have new life, to be changed and transformed from the inside out through faith in Christ. Father, we thank you for what you have done for us as Lord of all. Thank you for what you have accomplished on our behalf. Thank you for telling us that it is finished and may we trust you for finishing it. In Jesus' name, amen.